Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans, by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Monday, February 20th, we are studying John chapter 9, verses 1 to 23. In today's text, Jesus does the work of the one who sent him as he heals a man born blind. But then questions about Jesus and the man born blind quickly start to circulate through the man's neighbors and the Pharisees. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sean Linnell. Pastor Linnell serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blair, Nebraska. Pastor Linnell, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Pastor Linnell, let's talk some context. We're starting John chapter 9 this morning. What should we know about the Gospel of John and what's been happening up to this point to help us with this text today? Uh, The Gospel of John is one of four Gospels, as you know, but it's not one of the synoptic Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, do a lot of the same stuff. And then John does a lot of different stuff, which makes sense if we read anything about how the disciples interact, right? All the other disciples are sort of doing their thing and, you know, Peter was doing his thing. And then, and then John and and James were like, well, we can, we can do our thing too. And then they ended up having rivalries and stuff. But aside from, you know, cute interpersonal things, John was, was honestly just sort of written, I guess, for a little different purpose. If you already have, three gospels and those gospels were written for particular people in particular contexts to be used as catechesis to be used as a preaching manual to be used in the ministry to the gentiles then then john doesn't have to do those things right and and this is good it's it's good for us that we have four gospels all talking about the same thing because we we, we get either, I want to say a little different perspective, but but we, we're taught in a different way through each of these things. And then together as a whole, the Holy Spirit really uses this to, um, to, um, to build us up in faith and knowledge of the Lord. Now, as far as John and how John is structured and what John is doing, um, there's, there's really two passages in the Gospel of John that kind of let us know what's going on here. And the first one, obviously, is in the beginning of his gospel. And as it talks about Jesus and who Jesus is, right, in the beginning was the Word, and right, and the Word was the God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then it says this, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And when you get to the end of the gospel, it says, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, right? And then, and then by, right, by believing, have life in his name. And, and these, these tell you what this gospel is for. Like, it, it really is, you know, 
for you so that you might believe in Christ and who he is and what he's come to do. Now, the gospel itself, then, if, if we were going to provide a structure to it, one of the ways that we might do this is to see that there are seven major signs that Jesus performs. He's got seven I am statements. And, and this would actually make a lot of sense coming from John, right? Because not only that theme about becoming children of God and, you know, in, in John's epistles where he says, you know, um, that, that we should be called children of God and so we are. But also in, in the book of Revelation, right, or the revelation of Jesus to St. John, how it's structured with these seven, right, seven trumpets, seven seals, seven bulls. It, it makes sense that John would continue to do things this way to tie those writings together because it's, it's, all, about, it's all about Jesus. Now, if we're going to go with that, then this healing of the man born blind is one of those seven signs. And it's it's actually the penultimate sign, the sixth of those seven signs, the next one being the raising of Lazarus, the raising of the dead. And as these things fit together, they, they sort of build into one another. And so without the, the actual raising of the dead, this is really the, the raising of a person to, to spiritual life. And so there's, it's a very real miracle, right? This really did happen. He really did give sight to the blind, and that matters a whole lot. But then there's also a discussion about spiritual blindness and the giving of faith. And then, um, and then the next miracle shows the result of that, which is not just physical healing, but, but a literal raising of the dead. And so thematically, we're building towards what Jesus has come to do which is re restore faith, and then as a, as a function of that, then also restore literal life, right? Mm -hmm. Physical life, spiritual life, and then also physical life. So as we're moving through, we're keeping those things in mind, that this is, this is Jesus restoring and doing those things for this man, but it's something that he does for all of us. And all of these words are, are the thing that does that, the Holy Spirit working through this message to open our eyes, right, to give us faith, and then ultimately that we might be raised on the last day to live with Christ forever. So we get the first half of John chapter 9. The entirety of this chapter deals with this sign of healing the man born blind. How would you like to, to handle this, Pastor Linnell? Do you want to read our whole text at once, or do you want to break it up into parts? Let's let's break it up into parts. And the, the first thing, then, let's, um, let's uh, do— the first the first three verses. All right. The first three verses. This is John chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. As he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That takes us through verse 3 of John 9. So, Pastor Linnell, let's talk about this initial interaction. John sets the scene. They see a man born blind. The disciples have a question. Where is that question coming from, and how does Jesus respond to it? That's, that's sort of the, the, the question. It's sort of the issue, right? The first thing is, it seems like an odd question for his disciples to, to ask, right? But Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Um, I, would, I would like to think that that is an old timey way of thinking that people don't, people don't subscribe to anymore, but it's, that's not the case. Um, people seem to think a lot of times that there's this, 
um, this deuteronomic principle that bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. And so if, if you were, you know, born blind or you were born with some sort of deformity, then, you know, God's got it in for you or something. Um, certainly they, they thought about that in a lot of ways with a lot of things back then, but we, we still kind of like to think about things that way even today. It's a, a temptation of our nature or, or something. But whether jokingly or not, when something bad happens, like it's very common for people to, to, to wonder, is God mad at me? But we don't, we don't really have any indication from the Bible that, that, that's, that that's the case like that. And certainly not in the case that, you know, this, this kid was born blind. I know uh, I've, I've got a, I've got a friend um, and she was, she was born without her, her left hand, right? Part of her left arm. And when, when she was born, uh, her, I don't know, I think it was her, her grandparents, right? Asked her parents, um, what did you guys do? As if it was their fault. Now, again, that might seem horrendous to you. It, it seems pretty horrendous to me, but, um, but that question is, is a fairly common one. Even still, of a more recent note, I have I have some friends, and there's there's a couple of sisters, right? Two sisters, and one of them kind of has her life together, and the other one kind of doesn't. And the one who has her life together um, had uh, a, a child who had some very serious complications during um, during delivery during the pregnancy, um, and. The child ended up doing well, ended up doing fine, but it was it was really touch and go for a while. Um, the the sister who really doesn't have her life together, and who um, lives in a relatively irresponsible way, has had uh, several healthy children with no complications. And in in a moment of pain and sort of frustration and and um, fear for I think you know her own daughter, you know one of the sisters you know said. Why is God doing this to me? I'm, I, I go to church. I do all of the things. My sister's out there, you know, living in a, in a bad way. Why am I the one that's being punished? Now, let's meet that with sympathy for, for a moment, right? But, but that idea is one that's there. And so the disciples ask this question, but it's still the, it's still the wrong question. Um, and, there's, and there's nothing... There's nothing biblically that would give them that idea that it that it should be that way. There's there's really not any discussion in the Bible about blindness being used as a as a punishment for sin. God certainly, you know, inflicts blindness in a couple occasions, certainly to to protect his people. Um, but aside from like perhaps one of the proverbs that talks about a bird of prey plucking out your eye for disrespecting your parents. Like blindness really isn't used as a as a punishment like that, um, and so where does that where does that come from exactly? But but the Lord addresses it, and even more difficult than the question might be the answer that Jesus gives, because what is Jesus saying? Transcend or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. My goodness. Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, hey, man, that's just part of being in a broken world. He doesn't say God didn't do that. It's just the way things are sometimes or, or something, right? He doesn't do that. He just says, 
yep, God, God did this so that the works of God might be displayed in him. That's a, hmm. that's a tough thing to say. But, but biblically, that, that is the right thing to say often enough. So what, is that, what does that look like, and why is that so hard for us to accept? Well, because we feel like it's unfair? Mm. Because, because we're thinking about, I, I imagine we might be thinking about ourselves sometimes, right? Yeah. You know, why, should, why is the Lord you know, doing this to me? But if, if we have faith and we have, you know, a, a, I think a, a strong relationship with the Lord and we trust that the Lord is good, certainly, you know, I, I, can, I can suffer that the Lord might be glorified. Um, that other people might be brought to Christ, but what about my loved ones, right? What if I'm not thinking of it from the perspective of the of the blind man, but from the perspective of his parents, right? To to watch my children suffer so that the works of God might be displayed in them, like that's a hard thing to do. Um, but but in a in a very real way, real way, we we do trust that the Lord is good. He's not capricious. He does not inflict these things because it delights. He delights in the affliction, certainly not, right? Mm-hmm. But if we if we truly believe, first of all, that that there is a, a life to come where all of these things will be no more, and that the Lord truly is doing some good and 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 and, and righteous, loving work through these things, then then we can trust in that. Let me give you an example. I was at a synodical convention a few years back, um, and. At one point during the convention, we were we were discussing some motion about supporting the brothers and sisters in Christ who are being persecuted throughout the world. And a couple of uh, a couple of African men uh, got up to speak to this motion. And I couldn't really understand quite what they were saying, but they were they were like pointing to parts of themselves. One guy was pulling out his cheek, and then President Harrison. Um, sort of told us what they were saying and he said that that he knew these men and and they were pointing to uh their wounds that they had a a library in their town and that some men uh, came into town and this man here they strung him up by his feet and they whipped him and he has scars all over his back and this man here was pulling out his cheeks so that you could see the teeth that are missing because they beat him until they fell out Um, to be in the presence of what is as close to a martyr as you're going to see, because of course martyrs die, Mm. is a a humbling experience. And for as much as they suffered, the, 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 um, the honor that they receive in, in so doing, and not from us, but but to, to be able to to give a witness like that. Um, you know, and and then you say something like, would that would that hurt if that was your kid? Yeah, yeah, it would a lot. But but the kind of uh, I don't know if I don't know if pride is exactly the right word because pride is a negative connotation, but, um, but yeah, maybe, maybe pride, you know, um, in that, that they could come through with such faith. What, what else would, you know, what they, they win state in wrestling. They, 
you know, they go on and they, they do great in the world, right? When we talk, when Jesus talks about being honored by the world or, 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 or finding a different sort of honor, right? A different sort of glory. Like, is it not that? And so, okay, so this guy was born blind. This guy was born blind and he went through his whole life and he had a really uh, a kind of a tough time. And, and maybe he never had a family and there was a whole bunch of things that were denied to him. But, but this guy, this guy had Jesus come to him and heal him. And this guy is, is in the scriptures, you know, remembered when, when so many other well-to-do men were not. Right. Similarly to the, the woman who takes her ointment and anoints Jesus's feet. Right. Whenever this is told of me, she will be remembered. I mean, my goodness. And so on the last day, when we stand before the saints, and uh, I don't know if being blind or the sufferings that we might endure for the sake of the gospel, I don't know if they're going to be such as such a big uh, um impediment to our faith at that point you know what i mean mm-hmm. um but it's really trying to see things from from that perspective and i understand that that is hard but i don't mean it is law i don't mean oh you're suffering you have to believe harder just have more faith what i mean is that for you sitting at home dear listener brother or sister in christ that as you suffer the lord is not blind to these things that he does have a great compassion for you that he does use all things for the good of those who love him and that even even in your humble estate that does not make you less able but perhaps more able than some others to testify to the love of god and to share the gospel with those who need it so your affliction is not uh, a disability it may be to the world but it is not to your service in christ or to your service in sharing the gospel with your neighbor it's a very helpful comment on what Jesus answers his disciples with that question. In those situations, when you're the one in that suffering, that's where I've always found comfort in the Psalms and in other places where instead of just sort of philosophizing about it, like the disciples seem to be doing or or doing that theology sort of in the abstract, the Psalms teach us to take that suffering to the Lord in our prayers to cry out before him, to lay it at his feet and let him be the one to deal with it. And I think in that act of, of praying, especially again, through the Psalms, the Lord does that work on us so that we would begin to rejoice in our sufferings, that we would continue to trust in him all the more in the midst of those sufferings rather than fall farther away from him. And, and this is something that you know the psalms in the old testament and in through the epistles in the new testament um it's it's um it's a situation um that all of god's saints um have been faced with at one time or another and this is why paul says in in first corinthians he says god chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise and god chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong and when paul says i can do all things through god who strengthens me he doesn't mean go out and win the game or get your promotion, he lists a bunch of things that are generally unpleasant. And so perhaps a more appropriate translation is, I can endure all things through God who strengthens me. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right, Pastor Linnell, let's keep moving through the text here. So we stopped in the middle of Jesus' answer to his disciples. He continues, 
you want me to read the rest of, of Jesus' words there? Yes, please do, up into the Pool of Siloam. All right, so this is now beginning at verse 4 in the text. Jesus says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. That takes us through verse 7. So, Pastor Linnell, we've got about six minutes here before the break. Help us with the rest of Jesus' answer and then take us into what Jesus does in verses 6 and 7. Goodness gracious. Um, if you need to pause this, in the middle of your answer, that's fine. We, we may have to do that. Uh, and okay. part of it is because what Jesus says here um, has a lot of uh, deep cuts and references to, to other parts of the scriptures, to other things that God has done in the past. So, so let me provide kind of a, a, a brief overview, overview and we can, we can walk through and emphasize particular parts if, if necessary. So when Jesus is saying, we must work with him while it's, the, while it's day, for night is coming, for when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world, right? So in, in a number of things, he's referencing certainly the, the beginning of his gospel, right? Where Jesus is the light of the world, the light that no darkness can overcome. But even in this, that is a, a reference to, to Genesis, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was God. Now, Jesus is not created light. Jesus is the son of God who is begotten from, the, from eternity. But the first thing that God speaks is let there be light. And so before anything else comes into this, this, this universe that he's created, it, light is that physical representation of God entering his creation through his word. So we're making a distinction between the light being Jesus or him saying this, this here, which is sort of at the same time literal and metaphorical, right? Jesus has not created light in the beginning, but Jesus is there in the beginning, the one through whom all things are being made. And so he references this, right? There's, there's, there's day and there's night and in working and he's the light of the world. And then all of this, but then he says, after having said these things, he spits on the ground and makes mud with the saliva. And then he anoints the man's eyes with the mud, right? And so he's forming, right, this person out of the dust of the ground and then putting it on this guy's eyes in sort of a way that, that's reminiscent of, of God forming man in the beginning, but yet there is still no life in him, right? He doesn't have his sight right away. He sends him to go wash in the pool of Siloam and the pool of Siloam, right, which means sent. And so he goes and washes and he comes back seeing. Now, this pool of Siloam, which we have much more to say about, this pool of Siloam really is a, a foreshadowing of baptism. And in baptism, does the Holy Spirit come? I find it really interesting. I've, I've wondered for a while, you know, what the significance of this pool is. But the name of the pool is sent, right? Well, the Holy Spirit proceedeth from the Father and the Son. That means that the Holy Spirit is what? Sent. Yeah. Now, there's a lot more to say about that. I understand that on the face of it, that might seem a little thin. There's actually quite a bit of depth to some of these references, and it makes a lot more sense the more you go into it. But yeah, so Jesus, the light of the world, who was there from the beginning, comes into the world and forms a new man out of the dust of the ground and puts it on him, 
and yet he has no life, he has no sight, right? No faith, no spiritual sight until the Holy Spirit comes upon him and this Holy Spirit coming in through through this this foreshadowing of baptism and then the man comes back seeing. And certainly that's a literal seeing, but he also sees Jesus for who he is at this point, which is that physical life and faith. Hmm. So you put those things together and that's that's a pretty amazing passage. So well and, and all of this is to say that what what's happening here is an actual miracle to use the term from the synoptics. Something happens where Jesus heals this man born blind. He truly couldn't see physically with his eyes. And now he truly can see physically with his eyes. That quite literally did happen, and we don't want to lose sight of that fact. At the same time, I know, that was maybe intended, I don't know. You can't help it sometimes. But John John here, in the way that he records it, he invites us, again, to see something more than just that miracle, but to actually see the sign. And going forward, especially as this text progresses, we will get a better picture of what it means to see truly and what it means to be blind truly as we get a contrast between this man and the way that he comes to learn more about Jesus and as we hear about those who start to reject Jesus more and more based on what they find out in the investigation. Because after after this verse, the rest of chapter 9, and especially the part that we have today, is going to be these questions about, okay, well, is this really the man born blind? How did Jesus do it? Who is this Jesus after all? All these questions are going to, to continue to grow, and the answers to them re- begin to reveal to us what true sight is when it comes to Jesus. So we're going we're gonna to pick up more of that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Sean Linnell this morning about the first part of John chapter 9. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, February 20th. We're studying John chapter 9, verses 1 to 23 with Pastor Sean Linnell. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blair, Nebraska. Pastor Linnell, prior to the break, we had looked at Jesus' healing of the man born blind. Jesus spat on the ground, made mud, anointed the man's eyes with that mud, sent him to the pool, which means sent, and now the man has come back seeing. We're going to talk a little bit. We're going to read more of the text, and keep talking about that pool of Siloam. This is now John 9, verse 8 and following. 
The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. That takes us through verse 12 of the text. So Pastor Linnell, you said there was more to say about this pool of Siloam. It comes up again in the man's recounting of what happened. Help us into to this next part of the text. Well, I always thought it was it was interesting because Jesus will heal people and oftentimes he'll send them to the priests, right? But he, he doesn't send this guy to the priest. And I was curious as to why. And I, I really think it's because there's no reason for him to go to the priest. When you're sent to the priest, it's for you to be declared clean. And he doesn't need to be declared clean. He wasn't ever unclean, right? He's, he's not a leper. He doesn't have any sort of, you know, disease or, or evil spirit or anything like that. And this idea that lame and blind people were kept from the temple, while that's true, it's not because God said so, right? The, the blind and the lame, they never should have been excluded from the temple. I mean, it's, again, it's obvious that it is. The New Testament rabbinic literature says that they were, but, but why were they? Um, and really, it comes from Second uh, Samuel 5.8 that records sort of the aftermath of David capturing the city of Jerusalem from the, the Jebusites. And so when David is capturing the city of Jerusalem, the, the, Je- the Jebusites, they, they taunt David, saying that they could defend the city with the blind and the lame. And so David then refers to those defenders from that point forward as the, li- the lame and the blind. And it, it kind of becomes a bit of a saying. Right after this, well, the the lame and the blind shall not enter the palace is the saying that develops, and that's that's again that's referring to the enemies of David. But much later, this unrelated saying becomes a common justification for denying the lame and the blind entrance to the temple. Jesus doesn't send him to the priest because he doesn't need to be cleansed. He never should have been kept out of the temple to begin with, but he sends him to the temple for the things that we had mentioned before. But But here's the deal with giving sight to the blind. Giving sight to the blind is not a miracle that anybody else does ever. Because it's a a miracle that's really reserved as a sign for the Messiah. And this is something that Isaiah talks about, right, in Isaiah 35, and I think there's another place in 40. And so Isaiah prophesies this, this, you know, coming of the good news, freeing the captives, giving sight to the blind as a sign of the coming of the Messiah. And so when Jesus is doing these things, right, he is, he's not just showing that he was there in the beginning, right, that he is God, the I am statements, right, that are, that are sort of set up here in these miracles. But also he's showing that he is the Messiah. He is the one to come. He fulfills these prophecies. Now, those prophecies of healing the blind, they come from Isaiah, right? Wouldn't it be interesting if there was also something in Isaiah that talks about the pool of Siloam? Hmm. That and would be interesting. Enough, interestingly enough, there is. And so in chapter 8, in chapter 8, and this is the, there's the coming of the Assyrian, the Assyrian invasion, and uh, Isaiah is prophesying about some current events. But the thing about Isaiah and most of the prophets 
is that they're like parfaits. They have layers, right? And so they have prophecies for what's going on right then and there when they're prophesying, but they also have prophecies for the future. That's the great thing about prophecies. And so here in chapter 8, starting at verse 5, Isaiah says, The Lord spoke to me again. Because this people has refused the waters of Shaloah, that flow gently and rejoice over Razim, the son of Ramalia. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks. It'll sweep on into Judah and it will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck. And its outspring wings will fill the breadth of the land. Oh, Emmanuel. So you have this right reference to Emmanuel, God with us. And um, don't let it, throw you off that it says right shaloa shaloa saloa saloam those are all names for the same deal um this this stream and then there's also um it's been attributed to there's this tunnel of hezekiah that hezekiah sort of had built and used and you know and some stuff like that which you know hezekiah and isaiah are, are contemporaries with respect to this but um it means a whole lot that that this is where the pool of shaloam or Siloam is mentioned, and then it's in conjunction with Isaiah's prophecies for healing the blind. When Jesus sends him to the pool of Siloam, like he's tying together the whole thing in Isaiah. And we just never really noticed because how many people read Isaiah 8, right? Uh, I'm sure that there's lots of people, but nobody really pays attention to all of those little pieces. But God does because he's the one that put it all together in the first place. And it's stuff like that, those sorts of details that to me, um, I find to be more impressive than seeing miracles. Mm. Like there are magicians out there that do really fancy tricks. You can, you can, in a certain sense, fake miracles. This is what Jesus is being accused of, right? He doesn't, he actually does them, but the things that you see in God's word, like this isn't put together by editors over time that try to make all the things fit. Like Isaiah is writing this like what? 600 years before Jesus. And, and these things fit together so well, like you're telling me that the fishermen, the, the guys who made a living on a boat with fish, were literary geniuses that just sort of put this together and and did that on purpose, right? Or or even worse, that they did it on accident. The way that these things fit together, the way that these prophecies are fulfilled, and and the way that it happens in in the first go, not edited over time, is amazing to me. And so that's what Jesus is doing is he's, he's fulfilling all of these prophecies and they put all of these things together. And sometimes you might say, well, yes, but what does it mean for me today? Well, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. If you're looking for stuff to do, there's lots of commandments and you know, all of them, right? Go do those right? love your neighbor as yourself. But these things are written because Jesus actually did them and so that you may believe that he is who he says he is. He's the God from the beginning. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the one that did all of these things that he said that he did. So, so then they come out, right? And the neighbors who had seen him before 
as a beggar, they were saying, isn't this the man who used to beg? And some of them said, it's he, but others said, no, it's somebody like him. And they couldn't figure out if he was, he was the same guy or not. And the thing is, is that they're both right. Because, yeah, he's the same guy, but at the same time, no, he's not the same man anymore. His eyes have been opened in a very literal sense, but the, uh, you know, the, the eyes of his heart were also opened, right? The eyes of faith were also given to him. He believes that this Jesus is who he said he is. No, this man is never going to be the same. And it shouldn't be that way, or it should be that way with all of us as well, right? The people that we were before, right? The, the sinners and, and those sorts of things, at this, you are always going to be that until Christ returns. But at the same time, you will never be that same person again. And it might be the case that as you come to Christ, you know, if you've come to Christ later in life, or perhaps you've, you know, you, you really come to realize what it means a little bit later than, you know, the people that, you know, you were friends with 20 or, you know, 25 years ago when you were in high school, they might not recognize you anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, they know that it's you, but you're, you're not really the same person. And, and, and there's a reason for that, Right. Because you're not, you're, you're somebody who's been, been made new and there's a struggle against the old Adam each and every day, but each and every day we also rise anew to live before the Lord in, in righteousness by the power of his Holy Spirit that lives within us. Mm-hmm. And so what do we do with that? Right? Um, I find it really interesting that he is, he's sent over to the pool of Siloam, the pool that is called sent. But then, but then what does he do? He becomes, in a certain sense, he becomes the one who is sent. And so he comes out, and what does he testify to? He testifies to Christ. He testifies to what Jesus has done, right? What what these eyes have seen, what these hands have touched. He testifies to that. And in a certain sense, that's what we're all called to do, right? We're all conceived blind and in sin. And Jesus comes and he makes us that which is new. In the waters of holy baptism, we're cleansed, we're given faith, we're, we're, you know, our eyes are opened. And then we are sent out to testify to what Jesus has done. In this man who, who was born blind and who's, who's now been healed, we get a little bit of a vision for, for all of us and for what the Lord does for all of us. It's not. A metaphor Jesus actually did this but he he does something very similar for each and every one of us uh, I find that to be incredibly comforting the text continues the people who are still trying to figure out what's going on they bring this matter to the Pharisees to the religious leaders among them how far do you want to read now pastor Leno um, let's let's read to the end of uh, 17 here okay They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. That's verses 13 to 17 through the text. So this is primarily a conversation between the Pharisees and the man who's been healed, but there's also some internal discourse among the Pharisees. There's a division among them. Help us into this section. 
Indeed. So this is a, a pretty common sort of disagreement um, that Jesus has with the Pharisees is whether or not healing is allowed on the Sabbath day. And so on the Sabbath, there was no work that was allowed. Um, this is a day of rest that the Lord had, had established really even, even from paradise. But in the commandments, it says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And, and so they had a whole bunch of rules regarding what work was allowed and what work wasn't allowed because what exactly constitutes work. And those rules became so burdensome that, that the Sabbath, instead of being a day of rest, became one of the most difficult days of all because of all of the restrictions. The day that was meant to be a day of rest became the day with the most laws to follow. This was not God's intention. And this is something that Jesus says, right? The Sabbath was not made for man, um, or excuse me, the, uh, man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath for, help me out here, why am I goofing this up? <laughs> the, okay. Sabbath was, the Sabbath was made for us. The Sabbath was go. made as a gift for us that we might have rest and that we might have time with our Lord because there's plenty of work to do. But the Lord sets aside time for, for us to be with him and for us to be together. Yeah, he's with us always, but, but a time. A part of these rules were uh, what sort of healings were allowed. And so you were, they did allow healings in the case that it would save somebody's life, right? If you had an arm that got cut off, yeah, you, you darn well better find a doctor. You're going to bleed out. But if, you know, but if you smashed your finger and it can wait until tomorrow, then, you know, you can't go to the clinic until the next day. Well, blindness, the man will still be blind tomorrow. You can heal him after the Sabbath. And Jesus says, this is ridiculous. In one of the, his interactions, he says, if any of you um, had a son or even just a, an ox or a sheep or something that fell into a well, would you leave him there? Or would you pull him out immediately? You'd pull him out immediately, even if it was the Sabbath day. And this is no different. This is the day of rest. And so what more of a day of rest than, you know, than healing? He is now at rest. He doesn't have to carry this burden anymore. But what this means also is that Jesus is teaching them what the Sabbath is for, right? He's, he's establishing that. This is also sort of a, a continuation of, of that, um, that wonderful sort of theme that he gives, right? Uh, he's the light of the world. He forms him from the dust of the ground. He puts the spirit within him. And now we're having a conversation about the Sabbath day and what that actually means. Now, the Pharisees are having a disagreement, right? Because they're like, well, he's not following the rules. But then the other ones are like, yeah, but how can he do that if he's not from God? And it's not just any old sign, right? Mm -hmm. It's the specific sign regarding him healing the blind. And so that's, that's going to be a, a, an important point of contention here coming up in just a minute. Because if they can prove that this is false, right, that this healing is false, then not only do they not have to answer any of those questions, but they also get to be really upset with Jesus for being a fraud and probably a blasphemer in that regard. And so they, 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 they're trying to pass the buck here. And so the first thing that they do is they turn around and they're going to ask this guy. What do you say about this guy? Because if they can catch this guy doing something wrong, then they can try to discredit the whole thing. And so he says, he's a prophet. Well, he's not wrong. There's more to say about that, certainly, right? Mm. But he sort of, he sort of kind of skirts that line a little bit. 
at least for right now. But the Jews aren't satisfied. The Jews have to find a way to deal with this, and so they continue. Could we read the next paragraph? Let's read the next paragraph, and this will take us to the end of our text for today. This is John 9, beginning at verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. That takes us through the end of our text for today. That takes us through John 9, 23. So the man born blind who's now seeing, he's just said he's a prophet, but that doesn't satisfy them. Next, they take it to his parents. Take this. Take us into this part of the conversation. You know, this paragraph makes me a little sad, right? Just sort of as a as a parent here. Um, they they come around and they're the the Pharisees are in a certain sense they're they're pitting parents against children. When Jesus says that you know he comes to bring a sword and and division and that it'll be you know, parents against children and stuff like that. Jesus isn't saying that, like, that's what he wants. But he's telling you that that is what's going to happen. And you see a little bit of that here. The parents aren't the ones that are persecuting, right? But they're put in a position and they they choose, in a certain sense, to abandon their kid. Now, okay, well, he's an adult and all of that stuff, but he's still always your son. It makes me very sad that they do this. And so um, they ask they ask the parents, and the parents tell the truth. They're like, yeah, this this is our son. And, you know, he was born blind, but, uh, yeah, but we don't know anything else, man. That's uh, that's all up to him. You, you deal with him. Why are they so afraid? Like, they're afraid because the, they're afraid that the Jews are going to do something terrible to them. And you can see that sort of coercion, right? That the Pharisees are getting frustrated. And the people know it. The people know that the Pharisees are getting frustrated and that, and that in a very real way, their lives are at stake. That, that Jesus's life is gonna be at stake. And so do, do they side with the truth? Or do they say, well, what is truth anyway, right? Why don't you ask him? He knows, he can answer for himself. So again, it makes me really sad, but but at the same time, um, I, I think it it also sort of reminds us of what this gospel was, what it said it was given for in the first place. Right? He came unto his own, but his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so... This man, in this instance, he's kind of losing his family. His family's turning his back on him. He's abandoning him, or they're abandoning him. But in, a, in another very real way, he's gaining an entirely new family. Right? His father and his mother here are turning his back on him, but, but his father in heaven is not. Right? He's being brought into a, a new relationship. 
And this is not born of, you know, of blood or of the will of man, right? But he's being begotten from above. This hearkening back to what is not a baptism, right? The Pool of Siloam is not a baptism, but it's foreshadowing a baptism. And so this, this is the same with all of us. When you come out and, and, you know, maybe people don't recognize you anymore, right? They, you're a bit of a different person. Um, you can be accused of a lot of things. You'd be accused of being arrogant. You'd be accused of forgetting your roots, of, you know, being better than somebody else. Sometimes people don't want to hang out with you anymore. You can lose that, that family. You can lose those things. It's a very real, it's a right being, maybe not being kicked out of the synagogue, but being kicked out of those groups and those places where you have been. But the thing that you gain is so much more. The thing that you gain is something real. The thing that you gain is something that isn't, isn't lost through, through death, a thing where, where your parents, right, or your, your new family can't ever turn their back on you. They, they, it's, it's part of, of who they are. And so, yeah, it makes me a little sad here, but, but this reminds us that we are being brought into a family that isn't born by you know, the blood of our parents, but through the blood of Christ. Mm. Um, and this is, this is what he's receiving here. Um. Pastor Lanilla, we have about five minutes here on the morning. We've covered a lot of ground, but there is more to cover in tomorrow's text when it comes to the healing of the man born blind and, and how we begin to learn how we truly see Jesus. Help us to wrap things up on the text for today. Give us the good news that is ours in Christ. Help us to set the stage for the rest of the text tomorrow. Each one of us is, is conceived in sin. Each one of us is conceived in a certain sense, blind like this man. We we might be born with our, our physical sight. We might be born with our whole bodies intact, but each one of us is, is still conceived broken nonetheless. We're conceived broken in our inward being, without faith, without being able to see the things that God has done, without being able to have faith in, in our Lord, without being able to truly love our neighbor. And so we sit outside the temple and scorned, perhaps pitied, but alone nonetheless. And Jesus comes to us. Jesus comes to us and and not with any merit or worthiness in us, but, but he comes to us and he makes us something new. The light which was in the beginning, the one through whom all things was made, comes to us and he makes us whole. He grants us his Holy Spirit. He brings us into a relationship with him, with his father, into his family through the waters of holy baptism. And he does this because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He has redeemed our life from the moment that it was conceived until the moment that he dies, until the moment that he comes back to life. He dies not only for all of our sins, but takes upon himself our diseases, our infirmities, our iniquities. He takes all of those things and he takes them to the cross there to die once and for all. But he doesn't stay dead. He rises from the dead. And this is the future, the hope that awaits all of us. And it is very much the case that there are going to be those who turn away from that. That those who seek to find a way by their own righteousness, those who are blind and bound in the devil's kingdom, because mysteriously enough, that's... That's what they choose to be. But for you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, who have had your eyes opened to what our Lord Jesus has done, know 
that our Lord Jesus Christ has come to you, made you his own, made you a member of his family and a son of his heavenly father. And this is something that cannot be taken away, no matter if they cast you out of the synagogue, no matter if they threaten you, no matter if they take your very life. For your life is found in Christ. He is the God of the living, not the God of the dead, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is your God, and we will be with him always, now and in the world to come. Pastor Sean Linnell is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blair, Nebraska, helping us today to study John chapter 9, verses 1 to 23. Pastor Linnell, thanks for being our guest today. Always a pleasure. Thank you. The disciples ask the wrong question, but Jesus gives the comforting answer, and he does the works of God in this man. He gives this man his sight, but not only his physical sight. He also gives this man true spiritual sight. This man begins to see who Jesus is truly as the Savior of the world. He starts to see that in today's text. He will see it more fully in tomorrow's text. And John writes his gospel so that you and I would see that same truth, so that we would truly see Jesus Christ as the Christ, the Son of God. And through that real sight, that faith in his name, we would have life, life eternal. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about John chapter 9 or the gospel according to St. John, please send us an email. You can send that to kfuo at kfuo.org. You can also download the KFUO app. KFUO app and use the open mic feature there to send us a message is always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.